So today's message from Corey Wilcoxon's book, Jesus is Not a Nice Guy, is the chapter that says, Jesus is not a family man. Good, good, interesting title. That right there should catch your attention a little bit. The heck? Jesus is not a family man. So we are going to start with the scripture reading for this. And this comes from Mark 3, 20 to 21, and 31 to 35. Now again, I, I, I switched it up on y'all. I went to a different translation in the Bible, so if anybody wasn't here last week, I used a different translation to what will be shown on the screen. But just kind of compare the two words, what I say and what you read. Since Jesus entered a house, a crowd gathered again so that it was impossible for him and his followers even to eat. When his family heard what was happening, they came to take control of him. They were saying he's out of his mind. His mother and brothers arrived. They stood outside and sent word to him, calling for him. A crowd was seated around him, and those sent to him said, Look, your mother your brother and sisters are outside looking for you. He replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Looking around at those seated around him in a circle, he said, look, here are my bro mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother, sister, and mother. So the one thing I want to start out, out with this is that when we read this story, when we read this passage, that we do not read it and place ourselves in the shoes of Jesus. I think it can be easy to do, where we kind of place ourselves in Jesus' shoes and say, whoever is with me is with me, but if you're against me, you're against me. If you don't believe the way that I believe, then you're on the outside. Only those that believe the way I believe are on the inside. I think that's easy to do, especially right now. Can we be honest about that? Especially after the week we just had. It can be easy to, that if somebody doesn't believe what we believe, that they're somehow not Christian, not worthy, not in that. What, what I think we have to do to get the appropriate context and to really hear Jesus' words is to be either in the group that's on the outside that he's talking to or his family or let's fast forward to today. But we have to remove ourselves from Jesus' shoes. Let his words challenge us and stir in us. Because again, this is, this is the premise of Corey's book, is to give us a new way to think about and, and to look at Jesus and to see Jesus. This is not to give us the cushy, you know, soft Bible school stories. But one of the things that Corey says is that we have to look at what is God's will. So what is, what is God's will? What does Jesus ask us to do? What does Jesus want us, want us to do? How does he want us to live? Right? I think there's questions that we can ask. What qualities does Jesus ask us to aspire to? And if you know stories about Jesus, how is he telling us, uh, uh, us, us to, to live in the qualities that, right? fight for those that are on the margins. We should uh, fight for justice. We should care for the poor. We should care for the sick. We should care for the widows and the orphans. We should feed those that are hungry. We should heal those that are sick. All right? 
Is what we do, what we say, does it communicate love, right? Jesus gives us two commandments, to love God, love our neighbor. If we think of God, and even in God's, at times, judgment and punishment of us, it's still out of love. God's desire is for us to draw closer, not to push us away. So if we believe that God is love, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then what we should do should be of love. It should reflect that love that God has for us. That makes sense. It's kind of a trickle down. And if it's not of love, it's not of God. If what we do is not of love, if it's rooted in hate, it's not of God. It's a quality that would not be of God. So let's take a look at this from the family's view as we Maybe see what the family's seeing. And Corey lifts up a couple points here. Maybe the family and their reaction of calling Jesus crazy and being upset with him and, and that is they're jealous of him. That would be fair. Got a couple young ones over here. You have siblings. And I know my, my oldest son is here from the Navy, so um, they, they would maybe make an argument of who's the favorite. They would both at times say the other one is, and I would say, honestly, it depends on the day. Um, and if you have kids, you feel that. You feel that. But could you imagine being the sibling of Jesus? You get an argument with mom about your brother? Like, oh, mom, what? Oh, Jesus just can't make any mistakes, can he? Jesus is just perfect, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That would stink. The guy doesn't make a mistake, supposedly, right? It'd be hard. Also, I can't imagine, I mean, from the time Jesus was born, even the political powers, the king, Herod at that time, wanted him dead. I mean, if you're Mary, your whole life is revolving around protecting Jesus. At times, if you're the other sibling, you may feel like, hey, hey I'm over here, do you notice me? So yeah, jealousy may creep in. You may get frustrated with the guy. Probably a know-it-all. Who knows? Making some assumptions here. But also maybe, the second thing, maybe his family's afraid for Jesus, right? Again, they've had to do a lot to protect him. So what he is speaking at times is so very dangerous for him, right? I mean, it leads him to the cross, right? People want him dead. And he's going against a lot of societal norms, against religious leaders and political powers. So what he is saying is dangerous. And I'm sure as a parent and as a family, you're probably afraid for him. You're probably like, be quiet. Quit talking. You're just going to get yourself in trouble. Quit posting that stuff. And they've seen Jesus change. It can be hard when we see people change because Jesus is changing. He's, he's now living into his ministry. He's starting his ministry out, Right? So now he's living into, the, in, into his calling in life. And he's no longer that carpenter that's just living this meek life. He's going to go around and start preaching and teaching in this world. And that, you know, right there, it, it can be hard when we see people change. It can be scary. We could want them to be the people they are 20 years ago. Maybe we struggle seeing them for who they are today. I know for myself, some people may struggle well. Gosh, Chad, you're different than what you were when you were 22. I hope so. Goodness gracious. I hope I'm different than what was 10 years ago and 5 years ago. I have to imagine for all of us, we've all changed. 
And hopefully we've, we've grown and matured in all our ways. I don't think we ever really stop growing no matter how much, uh, how, older, how much older we get. We can always continue to grow in faith or as people. But as Corey says, not only was Jesus acting out of sorts personally, he was also violating some basic societal laws about family responsibility. Society at that time had some kind of strict laws about how you should be. Um, and so there's an assumption made that Joseph is dead because we don't really ever hear much more about Joseph, right? We don't really ever hear anything much more about Joseph. In fact, we don't really hear a lot about Mary in the Bible. We don't really know much about his siblings. We know later on that James becomes a follower, right? You have the book of James, one of my favorite books. If you want to get challenged in life, read James. Read James. Right? But the responsibility, if Joseph is not around, falls on the older male in the family. That's Jesus. And so here Jesus is kind of abandoning what he should be doing, which is taking care of his mom and his siblings. He should be working the job, providing income, providing protection. Right? If you were a female in Jesus' day, you, couldn't, you, didn't, you weren't career-oriented. You didn't work a job. You couldn't, you couldn't testify in courts. You didn't have similar rights as men did by any means. You relied upon men to protect you and provide for you. And here Jesus isn't living up to that societal norm. And he kind of does this a lot. He really flips up these laws, uh, whether it's societal or whether they're religious. Let's take an example of a religious one that he flips kind of upside down. Sabbath. Right? Sabbath, he kind of takes and flips upside down. Why? Um, he heals people and he feeds people on sabbath then religious leaders question him on this Jesus, how can you how can you do that does the sabbath sabbath one of the things that's unique about what jesus kind of does he really pay attention to how he interacts with people he never says the law isn't important he never says that sabbath oh well that's just a silly law don't don't mind that law that's ridiculous no he realizes the importance of the law but it's not more important than the care of the individual. We have to care for the individual. We gotta feed them, we gotta heal them. We'll deal with the law later. And I think we can fast forward that into today's time. There are always gonna be laws that at times, yes, we should follow laws, but we have to be careful following laws so closely that we forget about the care of the individual. And I think Jesus teaches us this. What Jesus would be doing, as Corey says, by kind of disobeying this societal law, wouldn't just be, when he says this, it's not just rude. Corey says it's scandalous. It's scandalous. But what Jesus is kind of showing us when he, when he speaks this way about who is his family, he's showing us a new way of inclusion. What does it mean to be included in the kingdom? And who is included in that? It's no longer about your birthright. It's now about those that do the will of God, that do the work. And Jesus shows us radical inclusion from who he eats with and teaches and associates with to who his disciples are. 
but even how he pushes up and changes up these societal laws. When we can use these laws at times to prevent people, though, from doing God's will and from coming into our place of worship to get to know God and to experience Jesus. And I want to lift up one I think that's kind of, it's something Jesus even talks about, um, would be kind of a, a law that we use at times to make people feel like they're not worthy of being present in this family. Um, and that's the issue of divorce. But that wasn't where you thought I was going. Uh, but divorce. Because Jesus actually speaks about this. And I've come across this actually recently with a few people. Because they have felt unworthy to walk through the doors of a church because they have been divorced before. Now, I'm not saying it's our church. Uh, I think you know, we have divorced people here and that. And, and, but it is something that we use this biblical law or this societal law to say, this isn't right. You, know, you can't come through the doors or you're not worthy of the kingdom, right? Jesus says, basically, that there should not be divorce. Why does he say this? In that day and age, a man can divorce a woman for any reason whatsoever. You cook my food wrong, I can divorce you. For any reason, I can give any reason. I can have multiple wives, but I can divorce you for whatever I want. And if you were divorced as a woman, you were left very vulnerable to society. It was dangerous for you. You could be killed. You could get hurt. You have no way to provide for yourself or your kid, right? So Jesus could come in and say, you know what, women, you're not allowed to divorce. I guess, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to allow you to divorce men. Does that actually help the situation for women? No. It still leaves them vulnerable. So Jesus comes in and says, we have to care for the vulnerable. We've got to protect those that need protected. So I'm going to do a blanket, no divorce. Fast forward 2,000 years. We still kind of assume this at times. We say, well, you can't divorce but if somebody's in an abusive relationship, we'll tell them, well, you got to get out of that. But sometimes we can't make sense of why that's okay as far as our faith goes. It's okay because the person in an abusive relationship is on the margins, is being taken advantage of, is being hurt. They are the person that needs to be freed. Jesus is about love and protection and liberation from pain and suffering. So therefore... It's not a blanket clause 2,000 years later. Get out. Get yourself safe. If you're being abused, leave. The institution of marriage is still important, but you don't stay in it if somebody is being hurt in that institution. Right? And so the way people come in, if they come into this place divorced, they should be welcomed with open arms. We don't know their stories. We should be willing to spend time to know them, love for them, care for them, heal them. And so we can take these biblical laws, societal laws, we have to be careful of how we use them where they could exclude or include people because Jesus wants to show us how we include others regardless of past history, regardless of where they're at today, regardless of how deep their belief is. So we want to go back a little bit into God's will. And again, just ask, is, there, is God's will is what we do rooted in love? 
As Jesus comes to liberate people, our work should be that to liberate others. It should be to follow God's will. And if we think of God's will and the calling that we may have, we can use religious laws, like the leaders use Sabbath at times to prevent healing and sickness to prevent others from living into the will of God. I think of women as ministers as this. I have a really hard time for anybody, any churches that don't allow women as ministers. I feel like if a woman discerns their calling from God to be a minister, for me to say no to that calling is going against the will of God. Does that make sense? That's what I feel like. I'm going to be honest with you, I wasn't always there. I had to be challenged to this viewpoint and to do research and be opened up and to pray about it and to think about it. But if somebody's being called, no matter what walk of life they've been from, what walk of life they're in, if they're, God is calling them, who am I to stop that will? If I, am, if I am a part of the kingdom by obeying God's will, then let me obey that, even if it goes up against a personal belief. Because that's one of the things I get from this chapter, is that Jesus is actually asking us to put aside our own personal beliefs to follow him. That doesn't mean that we ignore ours. doesn't mean we don't struggle with maybe how we believe, but they become secondary to the will of God and to what Jesus commands of us. And his disciples is a good group to look at. He's got some different ends of the spectrums here. Let's start with this his first group of disciples, he had like 72 of them, right? 72 or so, and some were women. That would have been radical and scandalous and awkward during that time, right? And here he does, and he sends them out. He dwindles it down to 12. He's got Simon the Zealot, the religious zealot on one end, and he's got Matthew the tax collector on another. Those are different ends of the spectrum. If you're not sure what a religious zealot is, extreme religious fanatics would push the religious beliefs on you um, were very, very extreme in, in what they said and what they spoke and what they believed. And then you have Matthew, the tax collector, who's working for the government, is enriching his life by overtaxing individuals, taking advantage of them, and was probably very despised by the people. And I bet you Simon probably wasn't that well-liked either because religious zealots at times were not always... Uh, welcome kindly. But Jesus has him on his council. This is interesting. Jesus doesn't put like-minded, like-lived, like-experienced people closest to him. I think there's an advantage to that. You get a chance to preach to a wide array of people. I think Jesus is onto something. He's onto the value of that. You know, when I look at churches, I would love to see a Extremely diverse place of worship. Extremely diverse. And I think Jesus shows us that. Right? I want to see people in church with different colors of skin. Church is still one of the most segregated places that people gather on a regular anywhere in this country. And there's reasons for that. Ways of worship and things like that. But to work to bring people of different race backgrounds together I think is an important thing for churches. But different class backgrounds, people who are poor, 
and rich and everywhere in between. Different lived experiences, right? Different ways in which we experience the gospel and can teach each other about the gospel. People who are wealthy at times have the ability to give uh, in ways that somebody who's poor isn't. People who are poor have ways to give in which in which maybe uh, somebody who's wealthy doesn't. One can maybe do more time, one can maybe do more money. Both are worthy, both uh, can work together for certain causes and issues for the will of God. Different sexual orientations, different gender identities, ages. I think of ages, I, you know, I hear a lot of churches really struggling with young kids in their churches. That's sad to me that there's so many churches that struggle having young people a part of it, and, all you, and, and you just see these churches, you just wonder where they're going to be in 15 or 20 years um, to find ways to have younger people all the way to older people. We can't forget, uh, even as younger people, the value that w- of wisdom that comes with those who are mature in faith, mature in life. There's wisdom that we need to learn from and be taught from. We all do. Different political beliefs. Oh, yes. Different political beliefs. And this one's going to be tough. Churches, families, friends, youth groups are all going to be fractured from what happened. All going to be. There's going to be people leave this church because they don't agree with certain political beliefs of other people. There's going to be people that are going to quit talking to people and family. And sometimes if the relationship's toxic, I get that. But Jesus tells us and is showing us the value of having these different backgrounds and beliefs present. How we move with one another has got to be rooted in that love that Jesus shows us, our words and our actions. Jesus teaches us in Luke that what comes from our mouths comes from our heart. If what's going to come out of your mouth isn't uplifting and positive and loving and caring, that could be a reflection of heart. So we've got to work on this. And one way that we do that is having uh, massive amounts of diversity and be willing to stay in the tension of our differences with each other, but to do the work and care for each other. And on a lower level, and I cannot believe I'm actually saying this, even IU and Purdue fans. As I was telling Chris Bodorf today, I mean, for IU fans, we have the greatest football team in history and in the country, so, hey, we, you know, it's a good, it's a good Sunday for us. It's a good Sunday. And I know that's a silly example, but even the little things, the little differences can manifest into something more major that separates us from living out God's will together. And we have to be careful of that. Right? We should be a group that's well represents society. <laughs> Even how we arrive at worship. We have different ways in which we think we should dress and be here. Shouldn't matter. How we believe. We've got different faith backgrounds. People who grew up Catholic, myself being Presbyterian, maybe some are DOC their entire life. Maybe some come from an independent church, Right? being respectful of that. Some of the, the, the stuff I learned the most that really helped me in my experience of growing into my faith was when we attended a Southern Baptist church. 
which for some of you, if you know me as being a much more progressive type of minister, that may shock you a little bit. But they really opened me up to Bible and Scripture and created actually a good space for me to ask questions that I had. And they, and they were patient with me. I, I will never forget that body because of the path that I think they helped lead me on. So let us be that kind of place that shows respect to that. Whether the atheist to the believer. How can you allow somebody in here who doesn't believe? How is everybody going to get to know Jesus if we don't allow him in here? I don't care where you're at in your walk. Can you imagine the courage that it would take for somebody to walk through the doors of a church who's never stepped through the doors of a church before? I'm always amazed in youth group because we have kids all the time that come, correct? Never step foot in church. To come to youth group. The intimidation, how scared they must be. You know, hopefully we move in love and care for them that they want to come back. But that's scary. Let us be a place that accepts that in and allows them to freely ask questions, no matter how silly it is. I've been uh, the most challenged by those that don't believe. I had a, a youth member one time who, who is a non-believer that asked me a question simply, Chad, why does God always seem to care for those that don't follow him more than those that already do? That was a great question. It made me think about it. And I refer back to the, nine, the, the lost sheep, right? God seeks the one that is lost, not the 99 that are found. I think God is a good parent. Which one do you, uh, kid, do you worry about the most? The one that has it all together or the one that at times needs a little extra attention? Um, but it was a great question that made me really think more deeply about why is that? And when you eventually see them pray, that's life-changing. Now, hopefully maybe you were a part of a journey into relationship with Jesus that wasn't there before. There's something powerful about that as a body of worship, about a family of God. Because of these differences and what we understand and don't understand about our differences, you know, they will definitely create tension. They will create conflict. But I want to challenge us to stay in that tension, to not run from it. If what I say bothers you at times, what I say is a struggle, let's, let's converse about that. Let's talk about why. Let me hear you out. Let you, I ask you hear me out. Let us grow together. Let us challenge each other. Let us do that with one another. No matter what the issue, whether it's an issue of the world, of our communities, of our schools, of ourselves, or of our church, let us stay in that tension and be willing to move in love constantly in that tension to do the will of God. But let me just add one asterisk, though. If the tension is toxic, distance yourself. Don't abandon it, but distance. Don't full-on leave and give up. Just distance. As I told the youth before, sometimes just love from afar. Just love a little bit from afar. We have to remember that we are all God's children. Every single one of us. We are here. We are choosing to do community together. We are developing our faith through our relationship with Jesus. We are doing the work that is the will of God. Let us hold that tension of our relationships as we learn more about it and from each other. 
Let us grow closer together in faith. Let us grow stronger as a community to bring healing to our communities. Let us learn how to care and love each other the way God commands it of us. Let us pray. God, we're just going to come in prayer today that you help us hold the tension, that you help us see each other, but choose to love each other even in it, even in our disagreements, even as we look for ways forward. God, we come as a church right now with an unknown future, as many are, trying to move through a pandemic and figure out what the next steps are. Help us to see the path forward that is your will, that is your calling. God, lift up the blessings of the ministries that we have started, which, God, I do believe this place is living into that calling, but help us to continue to see that path forward. Help us to move in patience with one another, to speak well of one another, to lift each other up in times of need, to find new ways to care for those around us. God, again, heal our lands, heal our hearts, soften us up, allow us to see each other as your child, no matter where we come from and no matter where we are. It's your name that we pray and give thanks. Amen.